Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like O'Teal Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Hey, this is Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters, and this podcast is part of the Osiris podcast family. Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts connecting music fans with conversation, commentary, and music. Osiris works in partnership with Relics. Check them out for all kinds of new music, news, and information. Osiris.
everybody. It's Helping Friendly Podcast. Quick hits to dicks. We're in 1997. Um, hi, Jonathan. Hi, Matt. Hi. Howdy. Um, given that it's 97, um, it, have you guys seen the movie Titanic? It's Ugh. really it's really good. Um, it's, it's very popular right now. Uh, you guys are not fucking entertaining my pop culture shit at all, so I'm, I'll stop doing it now. I mean, bring anyway. up, no, no. I like that you brought... Uh, factoids, but um, I'm not gonna sign on to Titanic being a really great. Uh, movie. Yeah. No, it's a joke, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're talking '97, where we left off yesterday. We were talking about Europe tours, and in 2097, we get two Europe tours, right? One in February, one in the summer. Um, Fish was a little bit into the into the Europe thing once '97 rolled around. Yeah, and this is the second um, day in a row that we're talking about a Europe show. So what I was thinking about when I realized that and was listening to this jam, um, here's a little sort of um, mini question. Uh, did Europe get the better shows in summers of 96 and 97? Hmm. Interesting. That's a very Maybe. good question. I think uh, 96, you could make a case um, aside from you know, the good shows that we had in the, in the States 97, I think there's a pretty good chance. There's some pretty good shows. I, yeah, yeah. Really I, good shows. I feel some like good summer shows though in the States, there were some good summer shows, but I feel like overall the Europe tours were stronger. 96, 97, maybe it's a little bit more even, um, because there were some, some pretty strong shows, uh, you know, the Virginia beach show and, um, and a couple of others, Atlanta, I think was, was really good. There was some, some good stuff. Um, and then 98, you could almost make a case again, there's some crazy good Europe shows, Prague and Barcelona and, and stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, you know, you've got like the summer 98 is known for the jukebox stuff, uh, all the covers in the U S yeah. Um, but then like were the, were the rest of the shows actually strong beyond the cool covers that they played. So, um, I don't know, maybe that's something that we should touch on again tomorrow and just see, uh, what, what happens with, uh, with the Europe thing. Yeah, that's a good point. I think 98 would even have more of a case than 96 or 97, but yeah, but, but, but here we are. And what, what are you giving me in that face, Jonathan? Well, uh, nothing. Okay, we'll talk about 98 tomorrow, but um, 97 summer, there were a a run of shows before they came back to the U.S. at Virginia Beach, I think, in July, um, where I saw my first summer shows uh, that summer, but this Europe stuff before was, I think, even better than the 96 Europe shows in terms of how, like, experimental it was and how much of an opening it was for the band. Or maybe maybe the February one was too, but either way, these these Europe shows were like big opportunities for them to expand. Yeah, we um we had done a uh, June '97 show before where we covered a lot of this stuff, and um I love the Europe Summer '97 tour. I mean, you can see when you listen to the the winter tour and then the the summer tours uh, from Europe, just how far they had come in progressing the sound. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's some great stuff. So we, we find ourselves in Prague, uh, on the, the June 20th, listening to what's the start of the show, right? Uh, taste and then a jam into cities and this little jamlet, you could almost call it after taste, which doesn't even sort of come out of taste. It's, it happens after taste yeah. is finished is like prototypical 
summer 97 right the slower funk groove um like thicker chunkier playing um there's there's a lot of atonal stuff in this jam it gets very weird for you know early in the show um it's awesome and and by the way i mean what kind of show starts off with taste like how warmed up do they have to be to come out and play a song like that uh which is an incredibly difficult song uh right out of the gate and um and nail it and then just start jamming and go into city so this is i mean this is what europe 97 is about just like balls to the wall out there experimentation at every moment yeah, they must have been like crazy rehearsed because this is only the third show of this tour. And, you know, they'd played the night before and then they had a couple nights off after the uh, Albert Hall tour opener. And you're right, though, they come out super bold and kind of lay into taste. And then that jam is I, I, I didn't write any notes. so I'm just going from memory. And said, the jam is crazy. It's so good. You're doing um, like is, you're, you're doing Brad style mental notes, mental notes brain notes um anyways it's uh yeah it's it's terrific rj what do you got on this i just miss brad guys we'll see him again soon r.i.p brad we, we have the chair for him it's waiting matt matt mentioned the other day um what 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 was that matt what was the one that brad was on uh, people should check out the uh, uh oh the uh the the august 96 august 96 so yeah. everyone needs to just go back if you want to hear brad's silky voice um yeah this is like what you said matt i mean it's like a you figure out what 97 is going to sound like based on something like this it happened a few times this during this summer europe tour but the taste is really really good and trey's soloing is good it's just they were just yeah as you said, they were they were very warmed up. They were really excited to be playing music at this point. I mean, not that they weren't in the other however many years they've been playing, but this was like about as hot as they got as a band. Yeah. I think that about covers it, don't you? About what? I think that about covers it, don't you? Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, let's talk let's for five it. more minutes. Let's and do see, it. See if, hey, if you guys asked me what I thought. I just was answering your question. Go to the oh no you didn't go, go to the along. music. I just think Cut we should draw music. it out a little more so that Cut they to the don't music. Get to hear it yet. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time, thinking, I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
This is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? 
That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little little taste of it, right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work. But we talk about decidedly not-so-grown-up things like... Hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that, that you either love, want to love, or hate. Yeah, imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that, that uh, has impacted your life. Uh, and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week. So triangulate your speakers. Think about jumping off the bed, singing along, dancing like an idiot, and listen to Axe Grind Podcast. <laughs> 